Support for this podcast comes from Wreckfest 2. Wreckfest 2 is the in-house recruitment festival of the summer with an incredible lineup of speakers and the biggest conversation of like-minded recruiters in the world. Wreckfest 2 is taking place on July the 9th aboard the HMS President in London. Get 50% off your ticket to the conversation right now by going to wreckfest2.com and using the discount code PODCAST. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi, and welcome to episode 12 of the Recruiting Future podcast. I started working with social media for recruitment eight years ago, and almost ever since there's been controversy and debate around the idea of talent communities. Lots of people want to offer advice to employers on how to build talent communities, but very few people can back this up with successful case studies um, and a track record in doing so. It's not surprising then that most employers I speak to think talent communities are a complete waste of their time. This is why I wanted to interview this week's guest, Adam Gordon from Social Media Search. Adam and his team have a huge amount of experience running successful talent community recruitment initiatives for a diverse range of clients. He is the perfect person to put the case forward for talent communities and explain how employers can make them work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Recruiting Future podcast interview. Um, My interviewee today is Adam Gordon from Social Media Search. Adam, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, certainly. So I uh, started in recruitment back in 2009, worked as a recruitment consultant for three years in the good old days. Um, Over the last 15, 16 years, I have continued to work closely with the industry, um, have asked people um, in terms of recruitment marketing, as well as at PwC, working as a consultant on employee engagement and initiatives like that. Um, And having kept close to what's going on, um, I have noticed um, a lot of different changes and mostly for the good. And in 2009, I created a business called Social Media Search. designed to help employers to do more direct sourcing because of a couple of different um, key principles. So the first is that obviously the world's a more transparent place. Um, You can find people um, online much more than you could in the past. And um, the second is if you get your approach right um, and you can build relationships with them, um, then you can turn almost anybody into a candidate within about 48 hours of getting that approach and getting it right. Um, Most uh, large businesses have got um, most of the capability to be able to do this, um, and we provide service on the bits when they don't quite know how to do it or they maybe don't have the time to do it themselves. Okay, that's cool. Um, I've sort of, I'd heard of your business um, um, in the past and then we sort of met a few months ago and you sort of talked me through um, a bit more about the kind of work that you did. And, and, And what struck me is that in the last four or five years, there's been a huge amount of conference talk and articles written about talent communities and community-based recruitment and all the wonderful things that you can do with social media in this in this kind of space but 
there aren't many examples out there. There aren't many people who are talking about doing it who are actually doing it. Um, and it's something that you guys are doing. And, um, you know, I, 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 I thought it was really interesting from that perspective. So tell us a bit about the, the, the talent community, the, the sort of relationship nurturing that, that you guys actually do. Okay, so I um, started using social media in about 2004. And the reason I did that was because I read an article which is entirely unrelated to what we're talking about. But Lily Allen was talking about how she had built up a million followers on MySpace um, before she even had a record contract. Okay. And um, I, I just thought that is a wonderful, wonderful um, sort of objective that all sorts of different businesses could follow um, in terms of that audience building and um, creating engagement and creating conversation with people that you know they want as part of their community. And um, when I worked at PwC, I was a number of the kind of techniques that um, Lily Allen talked about in this article. I think it was in the Sunday Times. And um, I started getting uh, talking to prospective customers um, via LinkedIn, for example. And um, I built up a methodology for how you do it effectively. I also started studying a lot around NLP and effective communication. And um, through a combination of these different things, um, I, I created um, some of the um, kind of methodologies that we use in social media search still today. And one of those was around um, creating communities. So when we create communities for our clients, um, we work through a 30-point plan. Um, that 30-point plan I formalized in uh, 2010. Okay. Um, and um, I keep talking to my colleague, Eni, about updating that because we've, we've actually probably got about 50 different elements that we now consider when we're creating a community. Um, but I'm going to talk quickly about the sort of uh, must-not-do things because these are the reasons, these are the three reasons why communities normally fail. Okay. So the first is because businesses normally overbrand their communities. So... If I'm interested in, if I'm working for Pepsi and I'm interested in jobs at Coca-Cola, I'm not going to join the community on LinkedIn called jobs at, at Coca-Cola because I don't want to, my boss to see that I've joined it. I don't necessarily want anybody else in that community to see that I've joined it. Um, and I certainly don't want to bump into my colleagues there. No, absolutely. I may, I may however join a community put together by people at Coca-Cola, which is about, you know, how to get ahead in your FMCG career or something like that. Something that's okay. um, issues-based, um, it's not highly branded, it's maybe at second glance that actually it's people at Coca-Cola that are behind that. So. You know, reversing that, the, the biggest problem that businesses make is they put together communities uh, which have got their name, their logo all over it. It's full of their employer branding. And actually, the very best candidates just aren't going to come and take part in that. That's an advertising thing, and people don't like being advertised to or marketed to on social media. Okay. So that, that's the first reason. The second reason is that businesses put together these wonderful communities, but they do nothing about actually going out and finding people to come and join it. Okay, so kind of expecting so, people just to turn up because they've uh, come up with a catchy name or something like that. Exactly. Build it and they will come just doesn't work. Um, 
If you're Richard Branson, it might, but most people aren't. It just doesn't work. So you've really got to go out and, you know, find all of the people that you might recruit now or in the future. That's what we call your total addressable market and bring them, um, physically bring them into into your community. So that's the second reason why communities fail is that businesses don't do enough research and, and member recruitment. Okay. Um, on LinkedIn, as an example, LinkedIn groups are probably um, the most common form of um, communities online, which which uh, you know listeners will, will know about. Um, big big issue around LinkedIn uh, invite, LinkedIn group invites, for example, is you can't customise that um, invitation message. So you can't give the three or four hot reasons why everybody in your token addressable market needs to come and join that community. Okay. So, you know, you need to think about how you're going to do this in a more creative way, possibly sending out an email before um, sending the invite directly from the LinkedIn system might be a better way of doing it, for example. Okay. Now, the third reason why communities normally fail is because businesses regularly fail to put together a robust content schedule. So they don't necessarily involve enough stakeholders in actually contributing to that content. They don't necessarily put together a calendar so that they're following that schedule and they're making sure that every single week there's, or even every day potentially, there's new things happening there. They don't create that variance in content. So often it's kind of broadcast only rather than participation and they don't necessarily consider different ways that people want to engage with them. Uh, they, they, they rarely include offline elements to that community. And so there's all sorts of elements to do with uh, content that, that, that many businesses fail to actually um, consider. But the, straightforward, the, the number one uh, biggest problem is not putting together a robust content schedule. So they're the three reasons why communities fail. Okay. In you know, in terms of some of the, some of the kinds of key things that you can do to make sure your community is going to succeed, um, the first thing is to make sure that the name of that community has got at, if you at least two, but if you can find three uh, reasons why people should join in the name of the community people are much, much more likely to come and join it. Okay. So one of the best communities that we put together, for example, um, is called Economic Development Under the UK Coalition Government. So okay. It, it doesn't sound like a catchy title, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue quickly. But um, when the members got, uh, when the um, invitees uh, got that message to say, we'd like to invite you to join, they saw economic development and they all worked in economic development and they thought, okay, that's relevant to me. Okay, perfect. Um, they saw UK and thought, wow, right, so it's not an American thing or a French thing or a Japanese thing. It's four people in the UK. That's me. So that's relevant to me. And then the third one, which was the clincher, was under the coalition government, which, and, and we sent out the invites probably about a week after the the. UK coalition government was formed in 2010. So okay. major hot topic. And we sent out 350 invites and about 300 people came and joined. That cool. was a massive, massive success based on uh, a number of different factors. But one of the big ones was uh, uh, people told us, when I saw the, the name of the community, I knew immediately it was for somebody like me. Yeah. The second really, really important one is that the person you use to be the owner of that community needs to be somebody um, 
that is senior within your organization, somebody that's considered a, an expert, um, somebody that people are going to be flattered to have received that invitation to, to join from. So and it's another big mistake that businesses make is they put together a community and you know, no matter how good the framework for that community is, they um, make the owner you know, a, an in-house talent acquisition partner or um, on, on the kind of marketing side, they'll make it a digital marketing executive. Yes, of course, People yeah. can see immediately based on that. They know what that person's objectives are based on their job title, but yep. they know immediately that that's got a recruitment purpose to it and that could switch people off. So there's a whole host of different things that you need to consider and it's a very, very, very... Creating communities is a very, very easy thing to do, but to create something that's powerful, sustainable, and it's going to help you start conversations with the people that you want to talk to, which is not the people that are looking um, at your adverts on Total Jobs. It's the people who are absolutely not looking at the adverts on, on Total Jobs. No offense to Total Jobs or people who are applying for jobs there. Yeah. But it, you, want, you want to be talking to your total addressable market, which is the people that are high performing in their current job, and they're probably not looking externally at the moment. So you need to, you need to create a way of initiating conversation with them that doesn't start with, how do you fancy this job? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is which seems to be the way that most people uh, try and recruit in social media. What um, you 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 kind of mentioned economic um, development there. What what other what types of jobs or you know types of positions have you found this 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 kind of community approach most effective for? Does it work across the board, or are there particular areas where it, it might be particularly successful? So it does work across the board, although, and I'll give some specific examples in a minute. It does work across the board, although you you massively need to tailor your approach according to who you're trying to talk to. So if you're HSBC, for example, and you want to create a community which is based on diversity because you want to attract more people from uh, ethnic backgrounds and uh, more females to your top 300 jobs, then um, you need to make sure that the, the, there's a significant offline element to it. Uh, you need to make sure that it comes across as very, very, uh, you know, high level, discreet um, uh, uh, content that is, um, you know, strategic. Um, you need to do a variety of different things and, and probably a standalone community that doesn't sit on LinkedIn, for example, yep, is okay. the right way to do that. Yep. You might want to find some top journalist or some other top uh, you know, industry commentator um, to act as the figurehead for the community, for example, okay. um, so that it's more of a sponsored type of a feel. Um, if you're, uh, it works very, very well for what I call the Michael Page market. So that's jobs of between, say, twenty and a hundred thousand pounds in offices. Okay. Um, LinkedIn's probably the place for that. And then we're in the process of putting something together for um, uh, one of the big leisure businesses, which is aimed at um, kitchen managers, um, and that's probably going to be a Facebook thing. So the key thing to consider, I suppose, is. Um, your your audience, where are they? And go to your audience. Don't put things together and then invite them to come and join something, you know, new where they're not going to be. Really interesting example would be um, 
a, a number of law firms that I know, they've traditionally put together their Facebook pages and they've talked about their graduate programs there. And some of them are starting to move towards LinkedIn as being their favorite channel because they know that the fastest growing demographic on LinkedIn is undergraduates. Um, and they know that a lot of them are actually starting to use that to gain insights into future employers. So I, I think the, the key thing is to consider, um, you know, where are those people? And if that demographic isn't online, there's a different way of doing it. Um, but for, for almost all uh, professions that I can think of, there is a way of creating a powerful uh, virtual community. Cool. I'm. I, I think that's. Uh, I, I think. I think that's really. That that's really interesting insight. And I think that the, you know, the audience thing and the most appropriate platform, incredibly important. So, hmm. what's what's kind of next with your with your methodology? How 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 are you sort of developing this? How how is this sort of community based engagement and uh, recruitment sort of moving forward for the future? So. We've been doing this kind of work around communities since uh, 2009, but, but in, in um, quite significantly since 2010. Um, and over that period, not a huge amount's changed except for um, every time we build a community, we get another insight and we apply that into the methodology for the next one. However, there is one big um, development that we're in. We, in the process of making that we've been making since February this year, really. Okay. Now, I consider talent acquisition as a discipline or direct sourcing as a discipline to be almost identical to uh, sales and marketing um, in, a, in a B2B context. Um, now, one of the big things in the B2B kind of uh, sales world over the last 10 years has been the shift towards uh, buyers who don't have an awful lot of information about that company or that product or that service and really needing to talk to sales teams very early on in the process of deciding whether or not they're going to buy that. Okay. To a situation now in 2015 where there is an abundance of information and Gartner claims that by 2020, 80% of buying decisions will have been made before somebody's actually spoken to anybody at that business they're going to buy that service or product from. Okay. Now, think, thinking about that in terms of um, talent acquisition, um, it provides, you know, social media provides exactly the same opportunity as well as the same challenge. So although the world's more transparent and you can find your total addressable market online, they are probably more discerning than they ever were, and they're probably much less likely to actually respond to your initial outreach at LinkedIn or at Twitter or wherever else it might be, or your email to them, until they've gone and taken a look at uh, your firm's website and the careers pages, and they've gone and found the hiring manager and taken a look at whether or not they want to work with that person. And they've gone and reviewed your Glassdoor profile. Absolutely. And with, with a pinch of salt, they've decided whether or not, you know, those comments are valid. And um, so because of that, I think it means that, um, you know, compared to 10 years ago, uh, 
in-house talent acquisition teams are, again, they're, they're, they're getting to talk to candidates a lot, lot later in their decision-making process. So because of that, um, it's really important to try and look for ways of building relationships with candidates before they are actually starting to look for opportunities and um, to generate goodwill and to inspire them uh, you know, as early as you possibly can. So we've taken some of the concepts from uh, the B2B sales world and we're applying them into uh, recruitment now. So if you create, for example, um, a host of great content and you score that content according to what you think it means when somebody is requesting that content, when they're going to look at that web page, when they've asked to take part in that webinar or they've asked to have a full copy of that report, then you can start to gain some real insights into whether or not you think that candidate is actually um, you know, looking for an opportunity or not. And if you're able to access their email address to send that data to, then you can start to, using search engine marketing, kind of cookie-type software, um, you can identify whether or not they are considering a move, whether they're considering your business, whether they've been looking at specific jobs, and you can gain major insights into where you think that individual is in, in their decision-making. So here's an example. Okay. Um, if I'm a uh, life sciences business recruiting um, scientists across uh, the whole of the UK, then I would go and find all of those scientists that I might recruit, I'd put them into my pipeline, I'd maybe get connected with them on social media, I'd maybe bring them into my virtual communities. I would start to share content with them and um, I'd share summary content and with a, a call to action, which is if you want a full copy of this market report on what's going on in life sciences, then send me an email and I'll, I'll forward it to you. Okay. When they start um, interacting with that kind of content, we start to know, well, they're industry focused and that's great. When they then start to request our content, which is the top 10 ways of getting ahead in your career as a scientist or um, how I made it to the top from uh, you know, the chief scientist at AstraZeneca or you know, those types of more career-focused uh, items, you know that they're starting to think about or, or they are career-focused, yep. which makes us feel, yeah, that's probably a really good candidate. Yep. When they start to request... Um, top 10 tips for that interview, uh, how to present your CV and make sure it's compelling, how to network your way into a great new job, and you know that type of content, then we know at that point, absolutely, this person's uh, about to start or has started looking for opportunities. Um, so as I say, using the cookie-based element of the software, um, you, know, you can keep, a, um, you can monitor signals which tell you when uh, you know, those individuals are absolutely um, starting to look for an opportunity. It's like, a, it's like having a nest full of all those scientists and it's, uh, you know, getting an alert which tells you which eggs are about to hatch so that you can go to those eggs, you know, just before they hatch and you can talk to them before, 
your competitors can or anybody else that wants to recruit them can. So, you know, this is the this is this is by far the most exciting kind of new development in terms of what um, we're applying to our um, talent acquisition type uh, work. And, um, uh, you know, of the 20 or so businesses that um, are, are either piloting this with us or have, uh, I have spoken to about it, not one of them's heard of a more accurate way of actually identifying who's ready for a move. Um, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. There might be something, but from my research, I can't find any other way of doing it. Yeah, I've not. Um, I mean, it's basically inbound marketing and marketing automation for um, well, for employer branding and recruitment, basically. And I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea, and I've yet to see um, you know anyone else actually sort of put it into practice. So um, it should be a very interesting, uh, yeah, some very interesting projects for you there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're looking at um, doing this uh, in for for a major London bank in the cybersecurity world. Um, as a man met, mansion, mentioned, for a um, uh, for a major leisure business, for head chefs, uh, for uh, a, a life sciences company, for scientists and sales professionals, for a private equity business who are looking for who invest in major mainly tech firms, who are always looking for product marketers and for uh, web developers. Um, and so, you know, yeah, we can if we can find them online, we can bring them into our candidate generation management system and um, yeah we can start to really help those businesses to fast track the amount of uh, you know the amount of calls or emails they need to do to actually get uh, get candidates saying that they're interested so here's an example of where, where, it, where it works really really well one business we know it's one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world and um, they're at 100% direct sourcing in uh, the EMEA region over the last two years um, which great, they're very proud of that. Um, but they still have to talk to a larger number of people um, than they would like to get that shortlist together. Okay. So they don't have any insight, even though they've got visibility on who everybody is. You know, they basically have to go A to Z and talk to the all, talk to them all, in order to understand which ones are um, are potentially interested in a move at any one stage. They don't want to have to do that. They want the insight and to be able to know who's going to be, you know, the warm calls right now. Um, and so, you know, it's a really, really good way of shortening the time taken uh, to um, actually, you know, get your shortlist together. Fantastic. Um, I look forward to hearing much more about it when you've got sort of more results coming, coming, coming through. Thank you very much for talking to me. Great. Thank you very much for having me. That was Adam Gordon giving us his unique insight into talent communities. I just want to end this week's show by saying a big thank you to everyone who's been listening to the podcast, as well as the current sponsors, Reconverse. Um, All of your support is very, very much appreciated. If you have any feedback on or want to appear as a guest on a future episode, um, please feel free to email me at matt at metashift.co.uk. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and Stitcher or any good podcast app. My current favourites are Downcast for iPhones and Pocket Casts for Androids. You can also listen to past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.